Welcome back to America's leading higher education podcast, The EdUp Experience, where we make education your business. Hosts Dr. Joe Salustio, Elizabeth Liba, and producer Elvin Freites bring you the brightest and most influential minds in higher education today. We explore innovations, ideas, and issues in higher education and beyond, and hopefully have a little fun along the way. Now let's get to it. Welcome back, everybody. This is Elizabeth Liba, and I am so excited to be bringing this episode of Ed Up Embedded, our one-on-one conversations with leaders in higher education and across the education industry about those super important topics that we all want to get some more in-depth conversation about, and our Ed Up Unplugged or Ed Up Embedded episode guest today with me is Danielle Gathers. She is the Undergraduate Association President at MIT. And I'm Elizabeth Liba. I don't even think I said that. So Danielle, you can excuse me because I'm, I'm so excited to talk to you today. I'm super stoked and interested to hear more about your story and what you're doing there at MIT. Welcome to the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited. I am so in awe of you. I think that what you're doing, you're moving and you're shaking and you're like doing so much. So I want to get into everything that you're doing. But before we uh, get into our conversation, I want to just, uh, obviously, we're all sheltering in place, and there's a lot of things going on around the world and dealing with a lot of uncertainty. So how are you doing? How's your family doing? Are you on campus now? Are you back in your home state? Where are you at the moment? Yeah, so actually, MIT's policy for the fall was that we allowed seniors to live on campus. Um, I'm currently a junior, um, but I actually decided to get an Airbnb with a couple of friends so we could shelter in place but still be able to do our homework. Um, so I'm originally from Miami, Florida, but right now I'm in Jersey City. Oh, oh wow, cool. Interesting. Okay, so you are safely sheltering in place in Jersey City and sounds like everybody is doing okay. You guys are just kind of maintaining there and you're taking classes online or how does that work? Exactly. Um, all my classes are virtual. Perfect. How's that going for you? Do you like taking your classes online, the virtual classes? Do they do like remote as far as like the online, like the live sessions, you guys doing like completely online? Like how is that working? Yeah, it, it really depends on the class. I think gotcha. I've um, been speaking to a lot of other students and it really is just tough. Um, mm. I think just being on campus, going into a lecture hall, you feel the energy of the person speaking mm-hmm. is so different than watching a video. Um, even though we are, some of our lectures are Zoom calls, most people have their cameras off. Um, it's very much like watching a movie instead of mm. really that interactive component. Um, additionally, I am setting, oops, was that me? Sorry. Um, Additionally, I am studying mechanical engineering. um, So missing that hands-on component. A couple of my lab classes have been like, oh, well, we would have done this in person, but this is how we'll simulate it. Or here, watch a video of me doing it. Um, So it's just completely Mm. different. Yeah, so big adjustment. Had you taken online classes prior to this uh, last couple terms or had you always just strictly taken classes on campus? 
Yeah, so actually I did, um, I have had the experience, my high school didn't have that many classes, so even my senior year I took like AP macro online, I also took um, multivariable calculus online, but even in seventh grade I actually took my um, whole year virtual, so I think I, I was in a very interesting experience to have done it um, for a whole year before actually. Oh, so you're a veteran to online. You've done a lot of online before. <laughs> yeah, and it's still very, very hard for me. So yeah. I have a lot of sympathy for other people. Absolutely. It's definitely challenging. I've been an online instructor myself for about 10 years. And, and I went to school, undergrad, I went to school face-to-face because that was back in the stone ages we didn't even have internet back then we kind of just had like our stone tablets we used to chisel into it with like our our knives and stuff like that (laughs) we drew on cave walls but no but seriously it's it's definitely difficult to make that transition I could see where that challenge would come into play um so I definitely sympathize with you guys are you guys thinking that have they said anything as far as planning for like the next term is it going to be a little bit more um, variety in terms of making somewhat of a return to campus or is everything kind of like I guess de- depending on how things pan out in your area yeah so last week we announced our decision so for spring we'll be bringing the other three classes back so seniors um, will go home um, but then um, junior sophomores and first years will be allowed on campus um, okay. right now there so seniors on campus have some of their classes have the option to be on person, in person. Mm. So I think the rate is about 50% of oh. undergraduates on campus have at least one class in person. Mm. Um, I'm sure that percentage will go down with like so many more people on campus. Um, gotcha. But I think I will actually end up taking at least one class in person next semester. Just to get that energy, just to get that kind of like feeling of being back on campus kind of. Yeah, and I mean, I am taking a lot of like classes that would benefit from Mm -hmm. hands-on components. Um, They've kind of been like, okay, we adjusted it for the fall, but -hmm. if you can, please try to um, be on campus. And if you're comfortable, we'll have in-person components in the spring. Gotcha. Well, at least you have a little bit more options coming up in the semesters ahead. So that's a good thing. So you're from my home state of Florida. Actually, I'm in South Florida right now. Florida stand up, South Florida stand up. I'm actually, I lived in Miami before, but I'm from um, Fort Lauderdale. So um, tell me a little bit about your origin story. Like, how did you make that transition from being a student, high school student, growing up in South Florida to going to MIT, like how did that all pan out? And then becoming the undergraduate association president, that's like kudos, that's so awesome, what a great accomplishment. So tell us how that whole journey played out for you and and how did you make that decision to go to MIT as a, a student here in South Florida? I think when I was a South Florida student, like I didn't think beyond like the walls of Florida, like I didn't even yeah. know anything else existed. So how did that happen for you? Yeah, um, so actually, I think my mom's like a first, a fourth generation Floridian. Um, oh, so wow. we go way back for South Florida. Yeah. Um, but I'm actually an only child with a single mom. Um, and I was kind of really blessed to have a mom um, who was a lawyer and she prioritized education. Um, she went to an HBCU. So she went oh. to New Orleans because when she was a senior in high school, she said she wanted a culture herself. Um, so I think growing up, I always kind of thought about like, oh, college just to go somewhere different to explore Mm -hmm. to get out so I think that definitely helped me um I think growing up I was really interested in law like my mom um but I kind of felt like I loved um humanities I loved STEM and I really felt like I had to pick one um 
And so then as I talked it through, as I got older, um, I really just fell in love with engineering. I love products. I love product design, thinking about how to create um, something that would help other people really captured me. Um, and I think once I kind of figured out um, kind of how impressive MIT was in the engineering field, um, and I also got to meet so many people there, saw how fun they were, saw how collaborative the environment was. That's a side note. I was very interested in going to like a um, I kind of taught not school in terms of rigor, but what I didn't want was like the competitive in the library all day, cutthroat mm. nature, and MIT just doesn't have that. Um, mm. Everyone was smart and everyone wanted to do well, but not at the expense of others. It was very much doing it with other people. Um, so at that point, it really captured me. Um, I also was playing soccer at the time. Um, so I've grown up playing soccer my whole life. I wanted to go to a great school, but I also wanted to play soccer in school. But I didn't want to do that whole Division One experience where soccer was my whole life and mm-hmm. school was the extracurricular. Um, mm-hmm. So I think the fact that MIT was D3, it was a great school, it shared my values, it kind of just all came together. That's so cool. That is so awesome. And I love that you like looked at all of the different factors in order to decide like what was going to be the best fit for you and the culture and being really smart, but understanding that you wanted a culture that was nurturing and and didn't necessarily have such a competitive element is really, I think, informative because sometimes it's difficult for students to really kind of weigh up so many of those options. And then the fact that you're in STEM, talk to me a little bit because I want to transition into some of the stuff that you're doing in terms of diversity, and you've been really called on by a lot of leaders all over the country to kind of share some of your experiences and, and be such a leader in that area. Talk to me about STEM and you did the high school that you went to, did they have like a, a program where they kind of nurtured that? How did you make that determination across the country? We're looking at diversity, we're looking at inclusion and, and women in fields that are not necessarily always representative of course, um, Black and other students of color in uh, areas such as STEM that are not necessarily always representative and diverse. So how did that decision-making process um, become a part of of you being, feeling the confidence to be in STEM? Because you said you had a an affinity for it, are you interested in STEM, but did you feel like, oh, wow, you know, I don't know if I can, you know, navigate or did you feel pretty confident as far as stepping into that world? Yeah. Um, so my school, neither of my schools really growing up had like any really programs to encourage women or um, minorities really to get into STEM explicitly. Um, but I think growing up, I was like very lucky, Generation Z to be, I think at a time where people were still were talking at least about the fact that there was a gender disparity in STEM. Um, so although it was never expressed like, you should do STEM, you should do STEM, I think just <laughs> the fact that it was known that oh, this is a great field. A lot of women aren't in it. Like it was a kind of that opportunity for me. And mm-hmm. I think I've always kind of been drawn to the road not taken. Um, so the fact that I was like equally good in humanities and STEM, um, I think I also was able to tie STEM to more of a career path for me. I mean, I clearly saw, oh, engineering, I can do this. Um, and I felt like although I was interested in law, I felt like no matter what I did um, undergraduate wise, I could always pivot into law. Um, so I think having that expertise also helped me. Um, so yeah, I actually did, my high school had an engineering class that I was able to take my sophomore year. It was like robotics and engineering design. Um, but 
the female teacher who was really passionate. Um, she had some experience working in like um, engineering and space technology. So she was always very kind of doing that individual level work of getting women in STEM and thinking about STEM. So I think she had a huge influence on my um, ability to see myself in the field as well. So cool. And what has your experience been like? You talked a little bit about the collaboration at MIT. What has your experience been like on campus as far as like, you know, being in that field, in that major, and is there a lot of student support? Have you been able to, you know, navigate that well? Because coming from, obviously, coming from South Florida is totally different down here and then being in that environment. What was the transition like? And then how did you make your way to becoming the the undergraduate associate association president that's so awesome and and how did you get the confidence to 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 make your way into such a, a it's like a really amazing transition to to be a south florida native and then going to a school totally out of state totally you know across the country and then now you're the president undergraduate association president so tell me how that journey went yeah, so I think um, MIT first year is pretty shocking for everyone. Hmm. Uh, you do what we call pass no record. So your first semester on campus, you don't get grades. Um, you either get a P meaning pass or you get a no record. So wait, wait, wait. Your first semester on campus, you don't get grades at all? Right. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's super revolutionary. So everyone's either just pass fail that first semester. Well, no, no fail. So just pass or you get a t chance to take it again. It's not on your record. No way. Yeah. I've no I didn't know that. That's yeah, like it's, amazing. It's so key. It's weird. Huh. So how does that, how do you think that works as far as just like instilling confidence or does it make you feel like, like weird? Like, why didn't I get a grade? Like, how did that make you feel when that, when you were like, what, what do they tell you guys? Like what the purpose is of that? Like, how do they? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, it's a lot about creating that like equalizing field. Like gotcha. you said that people, we admitted people from all different walks of life with different experiences, but we huh. know that at their core, they can succeed here and they're the person we want on campus. Um, but just because they never took AP physics in high school and you took three AP physics um, and you guys will be in the same intro AP physics or a intro college physics course, we don't think it's fair to compare you all at grades just yet. Um, so it's really about making sure first years feel comfortable. Um, they can kind of get the MIT atmosphere, understand what support resources there are, still learning, um, but kind of at the not the same stress level. Because um, I honestly couldn't imagine what it would be like kind of MIT is known as a fire hose. So you'd go yeah. in from the fire hose to have all yeah. that and beyond grades as a first year would just be a lot of stress. Wow, that is like my I'm like literally like that meme that mind blown meme. I'm just like, what? That's crazy. And that happens just for that first semester. And then what happens after that? Yeah, so we've we spent so many of the past like years thinking about the first year experience. Um, it's mm. really important to us. So we've actually done a bunch of different experience experiments. Mm. Uh, so probably five years ago, it would be just be that first semester. Um, and then you'd go back on grades. And then we had something that was like junior PDF. So when you're junior year, you can pick like one class that's like kind of experimental that you do pass um, a D or fail. Um, but since then, we've actually started doing more experiments. Um, so my year, we could pick three classes um, to put on pass or no record. Um, but they had to be what we call general institute requirements. So those are your math, your physics, um, your science, 
um, those could be past no record after um, first semester fall. Uh, and you could pick how you wanted to do that. That's so, I love the, it, it's almost like it gives you so much more like control. So it's like empowering that you kind of can figure out like what works for you and, and what are some of the areas that you maybe need a little bit more help in and kind of navigate that instead of everything being like a do or die situation, which is how I felt in undergrad. Mm-hmm. So I love that philosophy. And then what informed your decision to, like, did you just one day wake up and say, you know what, I want to be undergraduate student association but like how did that like what was your mind frame as far as that was concerned yeah so um just reversing a little bit back to high school um I ended up getting a lot um I ended up getting involved a lot into activism so I actually created my um high school's first black student union um I noticed that we were lacking community between the black students so I wanted to formalize that and then senior year turned to a lot of like advocacy so learning knowing about MIT knowing about kind of the stereotypes around college campuses and activism I was super excited to be able to join a larger black population and actually join a BSU that invented before I made it. Um, so I super excited to go on campus, make an impact. So I ended up joining the Black Student Union right away. Um, and then they had committees that basically did most of the um, strategy and work. And they had like five committees. I joined three of them. I was like trying uh-huh. to be the most involved person. I ended up reviving the Instagram kind of all over the place from that front. Um, and then actually, so the committee I was most involved in was a political action committee, of course, I wanted to do the action, um, strategize different things on campus. And the chair of that, um, when I was a first year, actually decided to run um, for the student government vice president the next year. Um, so when he won, he brought me on as my as an officer on diversity. Um, so then I became like one of six people running the student government. Um, and once I kind of got to see how much impact student government had, I think I knew what I thought about student government from high school and it was a popularity contest and those people kind of just didn't do anything other than mm-hmm. like bought sweaters sometimes. Um, so <laughs> to college, I kind of shared that perspective until I was involved in it myself. And I was like, wow, you speak to admin every day. <laughs> You're planning mm-hmm. things. You actually are the voice. You actually can impact initiatives. And I was kind of sold. Um, and I had this just entire vision for how I could actually incorporate diversity, equity, inclusion into our government, into our institute's philosophy. So what are some of the things that you have seen or observed at MIT and what are some of the, I guess, initiatives or things that you've been working on since you've uh, become student uh, student body president? Yeah, so our biggest one has been when I was officer in diversity, um, I joined the Indigenous Peoples Advocacy Committee. Um, and I think that really truly opened up my world. I think coming, um, everyone says black women are like double minority. Coming from that background, I felt like I knew a lot in the DEI space. Um, and I think going to that group, listening to indigenous students, indigenous mm-hmm. faculty members and staff, I just was like, wow, you're right. Mm-hmm. We are backwards when it comes to these things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think learning, I was knew Columbus Day was like kind of weird, but I didn't really understand how much um of a history in terms of indigenous people's advocacy there has been to get it removed and how that had been ignored um so as officer on diversity i was very excited to get a part of that um so i kind of let the 
um, Indigenous Peoples Advocacy Committee lead it when I was a sophomore. Um, but then when I was running for president, it was one of the things that I really wanted to bring visibility to. So I put it on my platform. Um, and that was something we were like, we're going to change it this year as soon as we were elected. Um, so we were able to talk to the president, um, our president Rife at our university, work with the officer on diversity um, for the whole school, um, work with the chair of the faculty, um, HR for staff to make sure everyone was on the same page and that we would change it by October. Um, so we were able to remove it, um, Columbus Day and start celebrating Indigenous Peoples Day. Um, so that was a big one for us, something we really wanted to do. Um, one thing I'm working on now is after the murder of George Floyd, we're trying to figure out how at an institute level, we can really make sure we're supporting Black communities. Um, so one idea I have is to look at our um, our banking relationships, where our money is. Um, and I realized that we weren't using a Black-owned bank. Um, so that's something I'm working with the uh, um, VP of Finance, um, or he's now the executive VP of Finance now, to figure out if we can um, incorporate a Black-owned bank, where our investments, are we using um, minority um, investment managers? What about the actual inv investments themselves? Um, so I think we're doing a lot of introspection to see how we can do better. That's awesome. And it's so amazing that you're able to have that close working relationship with yeah. the administration and, and have your voice heard and have the, the, the voices of students heard. And, and even looking at the indigenous community, I think like me being from South Florida, I think sometimes we have such a diverse melting pot, but sometimes some of those other communities, I worked on a Seminole reservation down here in Hollywood. And I, I was like mind blown by a lot of the things that I saw there that I just had not been exposed to. Yeah. So like you said, being a woman and being a black woman and, you know, all these different um, elements and on all these different areas that you navigate, but sometimes there are other communities that you just don't have exposure to. So I co commend you for stepping up and, and stepping outside of your comfort zone and, and being an advocate for another marginalized community. That's really awesome. Talk to me a little bit about how you've been able to expand your influence in that diversity, equity, inclusion, and being an advocate for these different um, various communities and intersectionality between you as a young woman, you as a Black um, student, very successful student. Um, how has that translated onto more of a national platform for advocacy of uh, these types of issues? Yeah. I think specifically I saw it first in my high school. Um, I kind of felt like a lot of black students were dealing with things and that just in terms of social capital, we wouldn't speak up about it because we weren't really kind of to risk losing all of our friends who might not have um, been as educated or informed as us. Um, so I think once I like kind of got into college and was in that like senior year, one foot out of the door mindset in high school, I was very comfortable <laughs> speaking up and kind of like, I'm leaving in a couple months. I don't really care. Um, I'm going to say what, what I think is right. And I'm fine putting you all in your place. <laughs> That's right, Danielle. Put them in place. <laughs> yeah, and I think once I started just doing that for myself and for my own sanity, I kind of saw what it just did for other people who felt like nobody had spoken up for them and they weren't mm -hmm. in the position to speak up for themselves. Um, so I think being able to leave high school, leave the BSU, and see it flourish, see um, younger Black girls who were below me step up and be comfortable speaking to administration the way I did when I was a senior, um, and kind of feel that somebody was willing to fight for them and kind of die on that hill for them just 
built up their confidence so much that I kind of left that place knowing um, how much your actions actually influence other people. I think I was doing it um, kind of in an individual mindset of just in terms of my own morals. I can't Mm -hmm. keep on standing and watching this, but I didn't think Mm -hmm. of how my own um, confidence in speaking up might affect other people. Because I am naturally an outgoing person. So it wasn't Mm -hmm. as big a leap for me as it is for other people. Um, So coming into college with that mindset, um, I think it just reflects reflects itself. I think student government, diversity, equity, inclusion has always been something people talk about. Um, And one thing I noticed was it was always like, number five, number six on the priorities, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So I think I was very explicit and comfortable saying this is going to be my number one priority. Um, It's been number five and number six for so long, and that's why nothing gets done. Um, And I think shifting the government and being very explicit with people has allowed other people um, coming from underrepresented backgrounds who are kind of afraid to say, no, I am working on diversity this year, Mm -hmm. um, has given them that ability. I mean, I think somebody our chair of the community and diversity this year actually came to me um, talking about um, accommodations um, for disabled students. Um, mm-hmm. So we actually started a whole initiative working with administration on this. Just mm-hmm. nobody had brought it up mm-hmm. um, and nobody had really thought about it in a way that we are now just because people felt comfortable coming to us and saying, hey, mm-hmm. I feel like I've been wrong. What can we do? Um, so I think just naturally being comfortable, um, claiming your own space just ends up um, kind of having that butterfly effect. That's so awesome. And to be able to advocate for communities across all those different marginalized areas, I think that really speaks to like your just your advocacy in general being just that person because I'm, I'm kind of the same way you know you see other communities you're like wait a second this person doesn't have a voice it's just, and then like you said once they see you're comfortable enough to speak up then that gives them the comfort level the confidence to be able to come to you and then you can advocate and help other people find their voice. So that's really awesome. I was looking at some of the the work that you've been doing in the media. You had a a piece in Time Magazine, you've been featured by Sephora, and I'm sure that you're influencing and and really um, giving other young women uh, a a great model to follow for using their voice and and being impactful in a major way. Can you tell us a little bit about some of those um, initiatives and some of those opportunities that you have? Um, yeah, um, so I was really blessed. Honestly, somebody asked me about it the other day. Um, kind of, <laughs> how did you get in time? Did you like audition or something? Oh, <laughs> like, what time I got an email from someone who said he was a time editor in New Pharrell, and I was like, Mom, this is sketchy. Should I respond? Yeah, sketchy, right? Bad sketch. Like, what is this? That's so funny. So you responded, and it was like, this is really Pharrell. <laughs> Yeah, and he was like, oh, Pharrell handpicked some people to write about oh. that. Are you interested? And I was like, God, yeah, I that think so. I think that's what you say. That's what you say. Yeah, that is so um, cool. Yeah, so that was really an amazing opportunity. And I think that, um, honestly, it's become kind of a trend, these um, first Black presidents of student governments. And mm-hmm. I think it's really been great that a lot of us are overlapping. Mm-hmm. Um, the first Black president of Yale, Khalil Green, him and yes. I, like, he found out I was elected. He reached out on Instagram. Aww. Like now we're best friends. Like we. That's so cool. <laughs> I saw him on the uh, the Jay Z video, and I was just like, "Was it Yale? Or was it, was that the one from Yale, or was he from Princeton? Oh my gosh! It's like you guys are all doing such big things. Yeah. It's like all I, you guys are just Princeton. like." 
Yeah. So I'm just like, you guys are like killing it. I'm so proud of y'all. So you had the opportunity in Time Magazine. You wrote an op-ed. How did that make you feel? Was it like really empowering? Was it like a surreal feeling? Like, and now you're best friends with other student government presidents that are, are making their mark and being the first. You are the first Black student government president at MIT as well, or have there been others before you? Um, I'm the first Black woman student body president. Wow. Yeah, Cleo is... was the first Black. Awesome. Good for you. So that feeling of writing in uh, an op-ed in Time Magazine, what, what did that feel like when you see your name? You're like, oh, I'm in Time Magazine. Does it like, does it feel real? Yeah, at first it was honestly stressful. <laughs> they gave me the option. They were like, oh, you can write your own op-ed or we can have somebody like interview you and they'll mm-hmm. write it. And I was like, it was like school season. I was doing like some government stuff. I was like, mom, what do you think? I don't know if I have the bandwidth. She's like, no, you're not going to like it. If someone else writes it for you, this is a once in a life opportunity. You yeah. need to prioritize this. Um, so I think once I took that on, it was kind of stressful. I think just figuring out how I wanted to tell my story, mm-hmm. um, how I wanted to describe taking up space. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was at first a little tough. I definitely had some writer's block. Um, mm-hmm. But I think once I just, it's funny, um, my writing mate and I, we ran on our values more than anything. And it was mm-hmm. um, um, unity, equity, and authenticity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think just being my own authentic self was like what really um, kind of led me through reading the, writing the op-ed. I think I was really allowed to reflect and think about like how much people in my family had played a role in where I was today because my um, grandfather was the first black mayor of Winter Haven and I think I always grew up your grandfather was the first black mayor of Winter Haven stop it that's awesome (laughs) oh my gosh I'm literally in tears right now Danielle thanks a lot I really appreciate that (laughs) that is so awesome you guys are just a family of achievers that is great yeah so I think it's like Getting, I think like although I, I a lot of people were talking to me about being, being the first black I think until I was like writing the op-ed I hadn't really reflected upon like yeah. how much thinking about that and knowing that fact growing up probably influenced my own ability to think absolutely, um, absolutely. so I think it was a really refreshing re- experience for me I think a lot of people like write about me kind of external and like ask you questions and then, like this time it was like completely blank page what do you want to say how do you want to reflect um so I love the experience it was definitely surreal I think for real Pharrell tagged me in something and I was like he tagged oh. you were you totally freaking out when he tagged you I would be like oh yeah I think it was early too so I woke up and I was like going through my Instagram and it said Pharrell tagged you and I was like oh my god that is so so amazing good for you and you look beautiful in your sephora campaign the stories of belonging sephora is like an icon and and just such an amazing brand so tell us about how that evolved and and what you're doing with that um belonging series yeah um so i think it was interesting because i was definitely watching different brands um over the summer specifically after george floyd um i saw the 15 percent pledge are you familiar with that no tell me about that yeah i'm sorry i always forget the woman's name but um she's like a fashion designer she's in the industry um okay. and she kind of just came up with this idea that oh if um 
black americans um are like 15 percent of the population mm-hmm. um then we should take up 15 percent of shelf space at least oh, um, wow. so the idea is to have like different brands commit mm-hmm. to giving 15 percent of their shelf space to black owned um businesses oh wow um, so sephora was one of the first people to actually jump on agree to it um oh, target still has it i think and there's like a bunch of different like serious mm-hmm. posts about it it's very cool um mm-hmm. so i think just seeing sephora kind of stand up in that way mm-hmm. i was like okay that's pretty cool um so I kind of started engaging with Sephora more um looking around it and then it was kind of the same thing as the Time magazine um one of the Sephora like editors he messaged me on he DM'd me on Instagram I think he messaged me on LinkedIn and he was like hey we're doing this um we belong to something beautiful series I've seen like some of your posts it's like a true inspiring story can you tell us more about it um we can decide if we want to do a video um so I just like kind of talked to him through and like we did a couple like preliminary interviews and it was like yeah we want to do a video about you and your story we want to go down to south florida with you kind of Mm. go around your home life go to your local sephora store um so it was honestly like one of the best days of my life it was such an amazing opportunity it was very cool Um, and i truly just love how it was all about what do you want to say how like authentic to yourself do you want to be what story do you want to tell um they kind of gave me so much creative freedom with that um so i'm so grateful to sephora um and the video editor they were all just so amazing Oh my gosh, that is amazing. You are doing some amazing things. You're a great role model. I am literally like in tears because I really think that what you're doing is going to motivate and really shine a a great light on how young people, especially young Black women, can be such great role models and agents of change. And you're doing it and you're doing an amazing job at it. So thank you so much. I know that you're very busy and you're doing uh, so much on your campus. So I appreciate you taking the time to speak with me and tell our listeners about all of the amazing things that you're doing as a, an undergraduate leader in your community. So once again, thanks for joining me, Danielle Gathers, undergraduate student government association president at MIT. Thanks again for joining me, Danielle. Thank you for having me. Hope you enjoyed that episode. To learn more about the EdUp Experience, please visit edupexperience.com. And if you want to be in on the live recordings, please sign up for our email list. Go to edupexperience.com and sign up to be a subscriber. We'll let you know how you can listen in live and get the scoop before anyone else does. So please, as always, feel free to share this podcast. Rate, review, and subscribe. We would really, really appreciate that. You've been listening to The EdUp Experience, where we make education your business with your hosts, Dr. Joe Salustio, Elizabeth Liva, and Elvin Freitas.